Welcome to the latest edition of the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis joined by Drew Lerner, and today we're going to talk about some of the big issues in sports over the weekend, a busy weekend in sports TV. No NFL for the first time since August, so everything else was allowed to take center stage. No guests today, so we'll just jump right into topics and start with the NBA All-Star Game, which was not a very entertaining game at all. Uh, We don't have the ratings for that yet because of the President's Day holiday. That's not coming out till tomorrow, but I'm not going to be surprised if it was the least watched of all time. Now, obviously, you know, one can say, well, last year's game had Olympic competition, That's true. This year's game did not face that kind of competition, but it did have uh, a number of handicaps, not the least of which is no LeBron James in the second half, no Giannis Antetokounmpo after the first play, and no Steph Curry at all. So I strongly doubt you're going to see very good numbers, and the game was terrible. Terrible game. And uh, the NBA probably needs to, uh, at some point, start thinking about these very long performances before the game at halftime. People got to go to bed. Nobody's going to stay up until 11 o'clock at night, especially for a game of that ridiculously poor level of quality. Uh, You know, I've watched a lot of NBA-affiliated content in my days. I've watched G League games. I've watched the Atlanta Dream play in the WNBA Finals, where they're 0-9 all time, by the way. Uh, I've watched a lot of of bad basketball, but that that All-Star game was uh, near the very bottom of the list, so... We'll see what the ratings look like and uh, ultimately what the future is of this game because the Pro Bowl is not real football and uh, the NHL All-Star game also really is not real hockey. It's this strange tournament thing. The NBA might want to follow in their footsteps because at this point, it's not basketball as it is. All right, I'll go ahead and bring in Drew Lerner and uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what's gone on in sports over the last few days. Yeah. Hey, John. Uh, Thanks for having me once again. Um, you know, for what's normally a, a time in the sports calendar that might be a bit of a lull, I, I think we do actually have a, a fair amount of stories here to discuss. What did you, you know, maybe aside from a bit of the all-star game, it sounds like, what did you actually end up watching this weekend is what I'm curious about. Well, you know, so I, I did tune in for the all-star game. I watched it start to finish. Uh, first time in a while that I've done that. Not really sure why. I guess it was just kind of the thought, you know, all these players are getting older. You know, uh, time is, is more time on uh, in the rear view than ahead. You kind of want to soak these things up while these players are still around. But uh, so, yeah, I did watch that start to finish. I watched the Saturday night festivities, caught a little bit of the XFL. You know, the XFL, I think, couldn't have had a better contrast Sunday night. You know, it's not NFL football, but it's at least a real competition. And uh, you compare that to the farce that was the NBA All-Star game, it probably looked good by comparison. Do I think that'll be reflected in the ratings? No, I strongly doubt. I think the NBA will win very easily, but I do think it was a nice contrast to the XFL uh, to be going up against that game. And uh, I, I will be very intrigued to see what the numbers look like. I, I suspect lower than the previous edition back three years ago, but still pretty good. I mean, standards are a lot lower now. You know, when the, when the uh, previous XFL debuted, you know, you had yet to see any of the COVID era numbers because COVID hadn't happened yet. So it was a different era of sports TV ratings. And I think by the current very diminished standard where, you know, the Super Bowl had under a 40 rating back-to-back years, I think uh, I think the XFL could get off to a, a, a noticeably worse start than three years ago and still be in better shape. 
Yeah, and we'll definitely want to get in more to the the XFL, but I want to go back to the NBA um, just real quick. It, it's pretty clear that the the All Star Game is is a lacking product that you know doesn't really resemble a basketball game in in even the slightest sense of the word. Is there anything that the NBA can do to even you know have some sort of competitiveness in this game or is are all these all-star games like you mentioned nhl mlb nfl are they all lost causes yeah they are lost causes but there are things that can be done even within that i think you can't make the game more competitive but you can make it quicker i think 10 minute quarters are very important in this all-star game and, and that to me is the first thing they should do 10-minute quarters, make it like the summer league because you're getting a better quality of play in the summer league. 100%, honestly, it's a much more enjoyable product, summer league, as compared to the all-star game. So that's one. 10-minute uh, quarters, uh, you're not going to be able to, these players make so much money, you're not going to be able to pay them enough money to make the all-star game competitive. Uh, you know, what the NFL did that actually kind of worked was by taking the helmets out of the equation and making it flag football, the players actually seem to be a little bit more competitive, a little less afraid of hurting themselves or each other. Uh, so I don't know what the NBA can do on that front, but, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe three on three. I mean, yeah, yeah go ahead. Well, for, for me, it seems like maybe, and I think the NFL is certainly leaning into this a little bit. These uh, these kind of spectacles are are starting to be geared more and more towards a very young audience, right? They want to bring their biggest stars together, and they they want to attract maybe like the under thirteen demo almost, and try try to you know have some sort of event where those type that type of audience will will tune in and you know get to know their star players a little bit more and maybe get them more invested in the league for you know for the future, right? I think that might be the smart path for these leagues to start taking is really try to lean into that type of uh, um, broadcast. Yeah, but the counterpoint to that is how are you going to do it? Are you going to do it with the TikTok type stuff? You know, they brought in uh, that Saturday Night Live guy. You know who I'm talking about from Saturday Night Live? I, I do not. I actually did not watch much of the All-Star right. game. Or actually, I'm, I'm talking about the Pro Bowl, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. That Saturday Night Live guy, uh, very controversial. Nobody likes him. He did Taco Bell commercials. Uh, uh, Pete Davidson? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, right. yeah. So they brought in Pete Davidson for the, uh, for the NBA or for the Pro Bowl. And I think that was an effort to, you know, kind of appeal to young viewers. But, you know, you can pander to young viewers, right? And that's different than appealing to them. You know, yeah. nobody wants that. How do you do fellow kids nonsense? So how do you find a way to get young people interested in a game that isn't interesting, that the players are interested in? How do you, I mean, like, that's a bigger problem. How do you get the players interested in it? Uh, you know, I, I do think I'd said right before, like three on three. And mm -hmm. I think that might be the way to go. Because the, the way that the NHL has it, the four different games, right? Uh, the four divisions going up against each other. I think that could work for the NBA. One three-on-three -three team versus another three-on-three, -three, so on and so forth. And, uh, of course, then that kind of breaks up the whole thing of having the captains. But who cares about that at this point? You know, I mean, I, I could care less about, oh, who's going to pick who. Seeing it in person was fun, but that you can't replicate that again. I say uh, you, you have a, a few three-on-three -three tournaments. Maybe even, because, I mean, how many All-Stars are there? Let's see. Uh, I think it's like 24, right? Yeah, that sounds correct. So let me, I should probably know what 24 divided by three is. But, uh, so <laughs> uh, there'd have to be eight. eight. Yeah. So you'd have eight 
three-person teams. You could do a bracket. Yeah, yeah a single bracket. elimination bracket. Yeah. The games are short and quick. Uh, and, uh, you know, you have them throughout the night. Maybe that's something you do. I mean, uh, that doesn't sound like a terrible idea to me. That Three-on-three basketball is, you know, an Olympic sport now, yeah, right? Uh, if I, yeah. So, I mean, it'd be kind of fun to see these players play a bit of a different variant of, you know, the normal five-on-five. Five. I'm assuming three-on-three three in the Olympics is a half-court game, right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that also kind of takes away – you know, some injury risk and also, you know, the full court game and the all-star game, it's just, you get an outlet pass for a layup or a dunk every time, yeah. right? At least it would take that away. And, you know, guys would at least be in defensive position right? so they can feign defense maybe. But um, yeah, that, that does sound like a good idea to me. Uh, I do want to touch quickly on, on the dunk contest because that actually had, you know, some viral moments with Mac McClung a two-way player i guess you could call mostly a g-league player winning the the competition do you see a future for maybe players outside of the nba even outside the g-league um participating in the dunk contest uh and and do you think that would draw more viewership yeah i think you know you got to do something tnt a few years ago had a show called the dunk king you know i hate reality tv i i I loathe it but this is one of the few reality shows i've ever watched in my life the dunk king uh aired it after the conference finals and it was just a parade of really exciting fun dunks and you know to me there's a lot of dunking and basketball are not necessarily the same skill so there's a lot of people out there that can't play worth a lick but they can dunk really well maybe put those folks in there maybe hoopers versus you know civilians you you bring in regular folks and uh you know see who can win between three or four regular folks and three or four nba players and you can do another bracket style where uh the the regular folks have their dunks against each other then the nba players do then you have the winners of each of those go up against each other in you know a battle royale i think that could be kind of fun uh and i mean the nba players would get put in their place i think i think a lot of these guys would would because they're dunk specialists right so uh i think that would be a a really uh a a potentially fun idea yeah i mean americans definitely love brackets so (laughs) bringing another bracket into this wouldn't be a bad idea and yeah i mean i've been to nba games before where they have the professional dunk teams come out at halftime and it's always you know one of the highlights of the game so Mm -hmm. You know, bringing those people into All-Star Weekend and highlighting them, giving them a platform. I mean, you already have, you know, products like the Harlem Globetrotters yeah. that are incredibly popular. There, There is definitely something there for the NBA. You know, it resembled the Globetrotters a bit, the game, you know, the, the three-point shots being jacked up. The players' complete lack of caring was pretty stark. You know, I hated those half-court shots at the end. It was, it was almost like an Adam Sandler film where it's just so lazy. It's almost like, a, you know, uh, cursing out the audience through the through the lack of effort. But yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully the NBA can figure something out that would uh, make that product at least a, a little bit more entertaining yeah. for for all of us. Let's move on to the XFL. Um, I know we've already talked about it a little bit that you believe maybe ratings will will be lower than what they were three years ago. Obviously, that was pre-COVID. Let's talk maybe about some of the production aspects to to the broadcast. Always with these spring leagues, you get 
some sort of experimentation from the broadcasters, some experimentation with the league, given, you know, new rules, maybe new replay setups, that type of thing. Um, what did you notice in the first weekend with, with the production? Well, you know, I thought it, it looked nice. I liked the graphics, uh, the uh, lower third is actually nicer than what ESPN came up with for the NBA. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, ESPN does a really good job of making it look like real football. And, you know, we, we talk about graphics. It doesn't really matter all that much. But, you know, you can always tell when a network just doesn't care and they're just going to use the generic, you know, the generic look. So I, I thought it was good to have its own custom look, but one that resembled their NFL package using a lot of those college announcers as well. I mean, it, it seemed like a real football broadcast and that's, that's half the battle. I mean, that's honestly half the battle. The USFL won't have that because beyond anything else, their arenas are half empty, not half empty, like 90% empty. And that always is something that, uh, you know, ultimately is, it. that's tough. People can't, people can't get into it if it doesn't look real. And so half the battle for the XFL has already been fought and won. It looks real. So to me, I, I think as long as they can continue with, you know, a game that is passably, you know, football that looks like a football broadcast, I think that, uh, like I said on the site in my ratings predictions post, I think this XFL will not be nearly as popular as the second one, but that it will nonetheless last longer. Part of that's because we're all assuming there won't be any world-changing events to screw this one up like the last time. But also the standards are lower. And so it's it's easier to see why it would why it would be able to survive at a lower level. Yeah, you definitely bring up a great point with the broadcast having to to look and feel like football for anyone to watch or even care about the the games. I did actually see some of the attendance numbers from the first weekend and it looked like most uh, most teams were getting around 12,000 um, in their stands with I think San Antonio even got 24,000. So that's not anything to scoff at. I know it's the first weekend, so you can probably anticipate those attendance numbers going down. But if they're able to maintain some level of, of attendance there to make it at least seem like people care, that, that's yeah. definitely an important thing for the XFL. Now, John, do you think there's maybe a a benchmark ratings wise that the XFL needs to hit in order to for the first season to be a success in your mind? I think you have to for the broadcast network games average at least a million viewers. Uh, the the bar might be a little bit lower on cable, but for the broadcast network games and ABC, uh, even if you have one or two games under a million, you have to average at least a million. I I think, uh, you know, and. Uh, I think they should be able to do that. I think if I had to guess, I'd say 2.5 million for that first game. And I, my expectation, both in the ratings predictions post before the games were played and after the weekend as well, my expectation is that you'll see each and every one of those first four games over the weekend at a million viewers, including the ones on cable. So, you know, uh, broadcast network, you have to average at least a million. Uh, but I think this past weekend, I would expect the cable games to have hit that mark as well. Now, there's one more thing I kind of want to bring up with regards to spring football. It's kind of the elephant in the room that the NFL doesn't really want anything to do with these leagues yet. I think for long-term sustainability of a spring football league, you probably want some sort of coordination or linkage to the NFL 
at least in the sense that more people are going to care about that product than they ever will a spring league that doesn't really have an attachment to to pro football um well major pro football in the nfl uh do you see a a possibility maybe several years down the line that the nfl could get involved in one of these spring football ventures maybe I actually heard Jason Locke and Fora um, suggest that you get some of the practice squad guys from the NFL that don't really get much play or don't even see an active roster during the season, allow them to play in some of these leagues and maybe have these teams have some skin in the game um, and, you know, have those hardcore NFL fans really um, care about something like this. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, look, you look at the WNBA and the ABL, right? Back in the 90s, the ABL had no ties to the NBA. The WNBA had all of David Stern's marketing and all of the NBA marketing behind it. And of course, the ABL didn't have a chance and it was gone pretty quickly. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, I don't know that. I, I mean, I would put it this way if you have both the USFL and XFL, the league that is allied with the NFL will probably last longer. But if you're just talking generally, not necessarily in the context of competition, I don't really know that having the NFL affiliation helps that much because ultimately it's still the same kind of, I mean, maybe even more so it'll be viewed as lesser because, you know, it'll be what NFL junior or the G league or something like that. And being, you know, its own property, I mean, obviously, we know it's not the primary, you know, football league in this country, but, you know, it the it, for, for the XFL, the XFL is second to none, right? Now, if it's NFL Junior, we know that it's a second or third tier product. I mean, it's kind of like the difference between almost NASCAR and IndyCar, where we know IndyCar is not as big as NASCAR, but, you know, IndyCar isn't a NASCAR secondary series. And I think that that helps. So, uh I would generally say that I don't feel that either of these leagues need to have that NFL affiliation, uh, though certainly if you're talking just about that head-to-head, -head, it might not hurt. Certainly, and that actually provides a pretty good segue for our next topic, which is the Daytona 500. Obviously, we don't have a number yet, but ratings-wise, we can expect that this is going to be higher than the previous two years, both of which were affected by by poor weather. That's always a an issue, it seems, with Daytona. Um, in the past, their ratings really suffer when they have weather delays. This was the longest race in Daytona 500 history. Given given all of the um, factors impacting ratings and viewership in the in the last few years for Daytona. What do you expect um, in terms of the number we'll get tomorrow for this? And and did you watch any of it? Did you like the broadcast? Well, let's get to the numbers first. We don't have numbers yet, but from what I'm hearing, it looks like it'll be down modestly. So obviously last year was just shy of 9 million viewers. Looks like it'll end up just over 8 million viewers on the low end of what we've seen for a 500. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. That's where the industry is. It does seem like the share will be up. And it also, which shouldn't surprise anyone, looks like the viewership could exceed golf, the all-star game, and the XFL combined. That's what I'm hearing. We'll see what the number comes in like tomorrow. Uh, the reality of the matter is, this is just where it all is. 8 million viewers for Daytona. 
would have been a terrible number not too long ago, but you know, welcome to 2023 in TV. And all of these historically weak numbers are being, you know, goosed by out of home, right? So it's kind of wild. Like the Super Bowl had 88 million viewers if you take out out of home. That's a really low number for a Super Bowl. But with out of home in it, it was 112 million, which is good. Uh, for the other leagues, you know, I, I can only imagine what it's like without the out of home. I mean, maybe I'll see that number, but uh, I'm imagining, you know, all of these numbers that have looked so historically low probably have a solid chunk of the viewership that's being added by the out of home. So as far as the broadcast goes, uh, I didn't catch a lot of it, but I did catch the end. And, you know, NASCAR is in an interesting spot. You know, NASCAR fans are, you know, you can't, uh, if you say anything bad about baseball, baseball fans will get in your face. And how dare you say this about baseball? If you say anything bad about NASCAR, NASCAR fans will say, oh yeah, and also this and this too. I mean, the dissatisfaction is is wild. And I kind of get it because that ending was so anticlimactic. And, you know, there were two sporting events, big sporting events Sunday. One was terrible from start to finish, the NBA All-Star game, but it's just an All-Star game. So who really cares? Uh, NASCAR, I don't know what it was like start to finish, but I know that portion I tuned in for the very final laps, just a lot of sitting around waiting for them to start. They finally start. There's a crash and they determine the winner based on who was ahead when the caution flag was thrown. I mean, nobody, I can't imagine anyone in NASCAR likes that kind of ending. So, uh, you know, I mean, again, it, it comes down to a lot of these sports are maybe a little stagnant and need to spruce things up in a way because the current way things are, that's, it's not enough anymore, you know? Yeah. I, I won't even pretend to understand the rulings that, that happened during a NASCAR race. Uh, it's always been confusing to me. I've never actually delved in and become a fan. Um, but let's come, let's, let's look at NASCAR in a bit of a, a broader light here. Is the rate of viewership decline concerning compared to other sports properties? It was. Uh, for about a decade there, NASCAR was just free-falling. Nothing else was, was was declining at that same rate. In fact, there were years where NASCAR was free-falling and the other leagues were up. But uh, really, starting with COVID, NASCAR leveled off. Uh, unlike the other leagues that were down 60%, you know, NASCAR had already lost all of that audience over the preceding years. So for them, they were actually, I think, up. 1% in the COVID year, uh, they've, they, they've managed to completely stop the free fall. So for them, a modest decline is okay. You can live with that. Uh, my understanding is they're probably going to get about a billion dollars a year in the next deal. Uh, so, you know, I mean, look, you're going to win most weekends in the spring with NASCAR in terms of the most watched sporting event. You're going to have the most watched sporting event of any given weekend in the spring if you have rights to NASCAR. Do I think NASCAR is bigger than the NBA? Of course not. Or baseball? Of course not. And I, I don't even think that NASCAR is bigger than the NHL. I think the NHL is a bigger TV draw. It's just that NASCAR is once a week. So, you know, that audience is, is, is going to be bigger for any individual race. But I do think NASCAR is big enough. And, uh, you know, the way I look at it is, uh, yes, it's only once a week. The inventory isn't the same level. But if you're Fox, it's indispensable for you for FS1. The next deal, I have to imagine NBC is going to be getting Peacock involved. There's no benefit to them to have those races on USA Network. Uh, NBC 
for them, their their version of FS1, right, is Peacock. And so I think I know NASCAR is a little hesitant to 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 have races on a direct subscriber service, but you know, for NBC, I think that's the only way that, that a renewal is going to be, you know, well, I mean, they might renew anyway, but uh, at the very least, you're going to have to get at least one exclusive race on Peacock, at least one. Um, but, uh, you know, all of that is to say the ratings are down, the ratings are not great, they're at a historically low level, but NASCAR is still valuable and necessary for its partners. And that's really, that matters a lot more than any individual rating. Can any of the decline be um, attributed to the rise of other motorsports? I mean, specifically, obviously, F1 has had a, a huge, huge growth period here in the U.S. in the last few years since the Netflix series. H- how are those other motorsports kind of cutting into viewership if, it, if they are at all? I don't think they are. Um, I don't think F1 is taking away from NASCAR. I mean, first of all, F1's rise is pretty recent, maybe two, three years. Uh, and I think that's a bit of a different audience. There are gearheads who care about all levels of racing. But I think that you're talking about two very different audiences with F1 and NASCAR. You've got basically the F1 audience. I'd say it's like the difference between Ted Lasso's audience and Yellowstone's audience. So, right. That that's to me, uh, I don't think there's obviously people who watch both, but I don't think that the, the, the crossover is enough that one would take from the other. So uh, I think uh, for NASCAR more than anything, you know, the, the mystique is a little lost. The great drivers, the personalities, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is still the most famous driver. I have to imagine. Right. All the famous drivers are sitting in the booth. Dale Earnhardt Jr., Tony Stewart, you know Jeff Gordon, who was in the booth and now is, uh, I think, a, a team owner. Uh, those folks need to be driving. And if they're not going to be driving, then you have to get some personalities out of these new kids. And I don't know any of the new kids. The newest kids I know in NASCAR are Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano. And I'm sure they're both well into their 30s by now. So it doesn't seem like they're developing much interesting talent. Uh, you know, I know Ricky Stenhouse Jr. just won. Uh, he's 35 years old. He is not a he's not a new commodity. Now, Austin Sindrick last year won. I don't really know who that is. I've never seen his face. I have no knowledge of him at all. Um, you know, Stenhouse Jr. I only know because he used to date Danica Patrick, actually. So I mean, it's they they got to get some folks. I never I had never watched a NASCAR race in my entire life, but when Dale Earnhardt died, I knew who that was because he was at that level of fame. Uh, and they don't have anyone who's like that. Uh, you, it's it's hard to get people like that. That's why it's ridiculous to take folks like Serena or LeBron, you know, or Tiger, you know, for granted because those types of folks, where you've never seen a race in your life, you've never seen a game, but you know who that person is, they are uh, they are rare people. That seems like a good place to to leave that topic. Uh, let's move on to Diamond Sports. Um, been well reported that this month they missed their first interest payment and in March will likely file for bankruptcy. Um, today, it was reported that the NBA has conditionally renewed their deal, their digital deal, I should specify, with Diamond Sports through the end of the year. They have outs at the end of each season, um, but through 2024 is what was reported that the NBA will remain with Diamond Sports. 
obviously this whole business deal has has massive implications for the MLB, NHL, NBA. Let's start with this. The NBA after, you know, the 2024 season will have a new negotiating period for all of their media rights deals. Do you think they're going to consider bundling their local rights with their national rights? No, because that's, you know, that's the team, you know, that's a huge revenue stream for each individual team. They're not going to consent to that. Uh, I think when all is said and done, you know, the extension is not a vote of confidence. It's a vote of, well, we don't really have any other option in the very near term. So this buys us a little bit of time to figure out what we're going to do going forward. And plus, these are rights that, you know, I mean, Diamond just got these, you know, I mean, the reality is that it's not a huge onerous thing for the NBA to provide these rights. I mean, it, it this is all brand new stuff for Diamond's uh, over-the-top streaming service. So, you know, look, uh, I think the RSN model is in real trouble. Obviously, I'm not breaking any new ground by saying that. I have no idea where it goes from here. Uh, I think inevitably those rights are going to be, you know, digital in nature going forward. You're not going to have cable networks that are regional for each individual's, you know, uh, region. You're going to have a streaming package that you can purchase. And just like with League Pass, I can watch every single Laker game in California because I'm not there. Well, if you're in California, you actually can buy uh, those those Laker games because that'll be available to you over the top. It's just a matter of time. I don't know if that means the next two years or the next 10, but I, I definitely think by, you know, within the next 20, by easily, easily within the next 20, uh, and then probably within the next decade. I mean, I don't want to say that RSNs are going to die out imminently because I just feel like as bad as things are right now, that's a big change to happen that quickly. Uh, but I, I do think that in, in, in the medium term, in the near to medium term, I think things are going to change pretty drastically. Now, this might be an impossible question, but what, what do you see as kind of the end game for, for the Bali sports RSNs or maybe just RSNs in general? Like I said, there'll have to be basically a, a digital over-the-top package that fans can buy. Um, and maybe it'll cost more if you're in market or, you know, I don't know. But uh, that, to me, is is the inevitable future. Um, that doesn't mean that you're going to have, you know, in two years, there won't be a single RSN on cable. I mean, I don't think that's realistic. But again, like I said, near to medium term, so seven to ten years, maybe five to ten years you will see that uh, change, I think. Gotcha. And we'll do one more topic here quickly. Uh, we mentioned before, but um, there was some golf on this week, uh, specifically the Genesis Invitational, Tiger Woods' first non-major tournament since 2020. Obviously, a huge ratings boon for the PGA. We only have the Thursday numbers right now, but those were up over 140% from the previous year, almost a million viewers on Thursday, which is a huge number for the PGA. Should we expect these elevated events without Tiger to get a boost in ratings, or is this just the Tiger Woods effect? Well, you know, yeah, it's a Tiger effect. It always has been. Um, Tiger is who he is. 
he will always, you would think, draw that way. There was a time when I thought that maybe some of the personal issues he had had would, would affect his mystique in that way, but it hasn't happened. And uh, I doubt that it will. I think surviving that crash has only made people want to watch him more because you just never know in life. And uh, we'll see what the ratings look like for the Genesis Invitational, uh, probably a multi-year high. And uh, certainly a much better last couple of weeks for golf. Remember the first couple of events were down, but the Phoenix Open was up and they get Tiger. Uh, I think they uh, they got to be feeling pretty good. And, you know, to bring back a question from last week, you asked me about the tape delay for the uh, live. And uh, just today it was reported that uh, more than a third of the season in the live golf will be broadcast on tape delay. So that is not going to be, I mean, you're talking about tape delayed golf on the CW. That's not going to be competition for the PGA tour. So uh, I think, uh, you know, look, uh, the PGA is under siege in a lot of ways, but I think they, they're in uh, better shape than maybe was thought a few weeks ago. Yeah, you're certainly right about that. And there was also actually a, another ruling today by a judge in California um, that actually had, you know, some favorable news for the PGA um, the name of the Saudi minister slipping my mind at the moment, um, but essentially they they will be allowed to sit him for a deposition should the should the case continue, and that is a, a huge loss for for Liv. Um, obviously, Liv is having their first event this this weekend in Mexico. Um, it will be broadcast live on the CW since it is in North America. I know it's been previously, or when when this deal was first reported with the CW, it was thought that there probably wouldn't be Nielsen ratings. But I think since there ha has been reporting that it's possible we might get Nielsen ratings for these events, if we were to get ratings for for the these live golf events on the CW, what would you think they would look like? Really small. I mean, I think, you know, maybe under maybe five figures, maybe we're talking 96, you know, I mean, let's take a look what the last number last night we have uh, ratings for is Friday, the 17th, right? This is via Showbuzz Daily. And uh, CW actually did pretty decently that night 592,000 uh, viewers for Penn and Teller fool us 575,000 for a new whose line is it anyway? Uh, you know, that's about as good as you're going to get. All the other networks, of course, well over a million viewers, except for Young Rock, which was over a million, but like 1.3. That was the worst of the night other than that. Uh, so the CW, we know it's well be well below the other networks. Uh, and we're talking about the afternoon and we're talking about golf. So it's not prime time. And it's not an event that is, you know, if it was pro football, maybe. But we're talking about golf in the afternoon on the CW. I mean, maybe five figures is too low, but 200,000 would be as good as they could hope for, I would think. But you never know, especially five hours, sustaining that over five hours. Yeah, definitely. Liv has been somewhat strategic here, putting their events kind of across some of the lesser watched PGA Tour events this week, the PGA Tour's going to Florida for the Honda Classic. Not a great field, only three players in the top 20 in the world. So Liv will actually have a better field on paper than the PGA this week. So it'll be interesting to to see if we get a number from them and uh, and how it would compare at all uh, to what yeah. the PGA will do. Now, just to quickly cut in, you never know. 
maybe it will get 800,000, 900,000, a million. I, I just can't see it. It's a CW, you know, I, well, I just can't see it. If, if we do get that number, a number that high, I'm sure we will hear about it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, John, uh, do you have anything to close us out here? Um, yeah, well, uh, just, uh, that we did not have a guest this week, but we do have a guest slated for next week. I'll keep it kind of on the, uh, on the on the down low, but it's a former sports center anchor from the glory days, the sports center who we have booked for next week. So fingers crossed that we're able to get that done. And of course, just a reminder, don't forget to resubscribe. If you were subscribed to the sports media watch podcast before you will have to subscribe to it again for this new version with me and drew this season two, you'll have to subscribe again on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. But, uh, other than that, I think we're done for today with uh, another week of no football next weekend. That's going to be, uh, I guess we'll get used to it soon enough. Yeah, that was a great tease for next week, John. I will see you then. All right. Have a good one. And we'll see you all next week, hopefully. Don't forget to listen to the Sports Media Watch podcast. Thanks. Thanks.